Hello and welcome to another episode of the Project Purple Podcast. I'm Dino Varelli, founder and CEO of Project Purple. And today we're on the phone with Christina Hoy, a special friend of mine who is the project coordinator for the Pancreatic Cancer Early Detection Clinic and Surveillance Program at the University of Nebraska Medical Center in Omaha, Nebraska. Hey, Christina, how are you? Hey, Dino, I'm great, thanks. Thanks for joining thanks for us. Me. Oh, no, it's our pleasure to have you on our podcast. And, and this is kind of, I always say this is exciting, but quite honestly, folks, this is exciting for us here because our grant that we gave to the University of Nebraska two years ago to really launch this program, you are, along with Kirsten, really the fruition of, of that grant. And the, the, the center just opened up uh, not too long, a couple months back. So I'm excited to really have you on the podcast. I know we met when we were out in Lincoln back in May and then back in June for our walk. Uh, but this is, I think, awesome to have you on so we can talk about the clinic and what you guys are doing so far and what hopefully you guys will be doing in the future and really kind of gives our audience, especially those folks in Nebraska, really something to take action and to follow up with you guys there in the clinic. So uh, I'm excited to have you on. Yeah, thank you so much. We are uh, equally as excited. And like you said, you guys have been uh, there at Project Purple instrumental in, to us in getting this off the ground. So thank you so much. Well, thank you guys for what you do. It's a, it's a, I always say this is a partnership or I like to use the word family. I think you heard that when you were here with us in May, like this is the Project Purple family. And I consider, you know, not only our runners, our participants, our supporters as family, but more importantly, the doctors, the researchers, the scientists, everyone who's involved in trying to push this disease into an area where it needs to be in terms of survival and, and, you know, everything that's being done to help the disease move forward to a cure or to a better management of the disease is all part of our family. And especially you guys, since we, you know, we've, we've worked so close over the last couple of years there with the team in Nebraska. Um, it's just exciting to have you on the podcast to share that. So with that, Let's give our listeners at home, and we've got a kind of a, a wide variety of people who listen to the Project Purple podcast. Some of them are in the space, um, meaning that they've been touched by this disease. Some of them are athletes and runners and CrossFitters and bikers and cyclists. And then uh, other people are, you know, just outside of the space that uh, don't know much about um, pancreatic cancer per se, um, but love what we do. Um, so for our listeners at home, just give them kind of a background of, I know you've been I know your story. You've been at the University of Nebraska for a little bit of time here, um, but you just, uh, I don't want to steal any of your thunder. You just had something amazing happen just recently. Uh, a couple of things amazing happened. And uh, why don't we share for our listeners at home just some of your background and, and what you've been doing and then where you are at this point at the University of Nebraska Medical Center. Sure. So I have been um, here at uh, the University of Nebraska for about 12 years as a nurse now. Um, and my background clinically has been in solid organ transplantation, um, and particularly liver bowel transplant um, here at the university. Um, and in about 2011, we, under that transplant umbrella or under that transplant service line, um, came together and initiated a multidisciplinary pancreas clinic. 
was aimed at treating uh, both malignant and benign conditions in the pancreas. Um, and it's staffed by a gastroenterologist, pancreatologist, um, a pancreatobiliary surgeon, and an endocrinologist. Um, and it was the first clinic like its kind in the region, and, and that was evident by um, the volumes of patients that quickly came to be seen um, addressing all a range of issues in their pancreas. And so um, I feel very fortunate to be uh, to have been involved in that patient population and helping care for those patients, many of whom were affected by pancreas cancer um, and were lucky enough to be surgical candidates. Um, and so I did that for several years with that team and decided to go back to school. Um, and like you said, very exciting. I recently graduated with my doctorate in nursing practice. Um, and, and before graduation, was lucky enough to come back uh, to the university under Dr. Tony Hollingsworth, a basic scientist um, with a pancreas cancer research focus here at the university. So um, it's sort of all come full circle um, and, and all around the pancreas. And I, I just, like I said, feel so fortunate to be working um, with um, Dr. Hollingsworth and with Dr. Cludy, Dr. Kelsey Cludy, a medical oncologist here who you know well um, and who is the PI for our efforts here on this early detection. Kelsey's been a guest on our podcast and she is a, uh, a great person and awesome doctor and I'm so ecstatic that she's there doing what she's doing in Omaha and we joke around a lot because uh, we're like Twitter friends and we tweet at each other on Twitter with various pictures of various uh, people in the field. So it's kind of like this running joke that uh, when I was in Boston at AACR, uh, I was like, Kelsey, we got to take a picture because we have to go out to Twitter and, and tweet it out to a good friend of hers who she studied under uh, uh, Cornell Wild, Dr. Allison Ocean. So, And I was just with Allison last week actually in New York and I did the same thing. I said, Allison, we got to take a picture. I got to send it to Kelsey. So it's just kind of a small little uh, fun game that we have, but she's awesome. I love her. She, she really is incredible. I've spent some time with her and in clinic. She, you know, she treats and sees all of the patients with um, the GI malignancies and particularly pancreas cancer. And um, just in my short term, short time here at university in this research um, position, I've learned so much from Kelsey. Uh, she's really great. Yeah, and you know, I think the whole team there. I mean, you know, you mentioned Dr. Hollingsworth, who we've not had on the podcast yet. So, Tony, if you're listening, we really want you to be on the podcast, but we know you're really busy, but uh, maybe we can carve out some time in December when it gets a little quiet for us. And I think Tony just had another baby, too. He, well, he didn't have one, but I think he and his wife now they have two. Yeah, so. he's a busy guy. Yeah, yeah. He's, a, he's a pretty and, and busy guy. Brilliant. Yeah, very brilliant. And uh, the university is is uh, lucky to have him there, and, and he loves it there. And uh, I know he's not going anywhere, um, but he's just awesome. He's just awesome yeah. to, to work with and partner. And I'm, I'm glad and excited that you guys get to to work with him on a daily basis along with Dr. Clutie. So for listeners at home, though, you, you mentioned something, and I'm taking notes here, benign tumors. And I think that's something th that is kind of fascinating. So the, the tumors in the pancreas that are not malignant, that are not cancerous, but um, you know, uh, they are shown on imaging to be a tumor, but they don't know until they actually come out until they're resected that they are cancerous or if they do like a needle biopsy, um, to tell that, um, correct. Is that usually what the norm is, Christina, or how does yeah, that work? So, uh, 
most of the most of those are uh, typically cystic lesions in the pancreas. Um, we call them like IPMNs or MCNs. Yep. So, and and now you know, most times people walk into an emergency room for anything, and they get um, scanned and have some imaging done. A lot of these things in the pancreas, um, these cystic lesions are found incidentally when they're looking for something else. Uh, but once we know they're there. Uh, some of them we know have um, potential to become malignant um, or malignant degeneration. And so once we know about them, we need to pay attention to them and just follow them. Yeah, I, I think that's so fascinating to me. You know, I mean, it's, I guess, for someone listening at home to know that there is a tumor in an organ that is benign, but not necessarily lethal, but has the potential to become lethal, especially with this disease. And I'm not laughing at anything other than uh, tr not trying to lessen the severity of that, but just knowing that, like, just internally, like, okay, so you have a tumor, it's not cancerous, but it could become cancerous. And, you know, that's as uh, probably as daunting as, no, uh, well, probably not as daunting as realizing that you have pancreatic cancer, but as fearful as if maybe you, you might, you know, and not knowing. And, and that's where I think, from a scientific standpoint, um, you know, something that we harp here on is just, you know, this early detection piece and getting into these programs and, and trying to make sure that you are you in a surveillance protocol or being closely monitored because it is really critical. That's right. And that's our whole, our whole goal here. So with that now, so things have, you know, in the last, what, about a year and a half, it started to move really quickly not as quickly, I think, as you know, uh, as maybe, you know, people think, because it does take time, you know, unfortunately with institutions, with HIPAA, with the legal aspect of it and information sharing and blood gathering. So it does take some time. I know, I think we originally announced this grant, I think it was almost two years ago um, or a little bit less than two years. Um, so there was a lot of, and, and also, i.e. finding the right person, right? Because not everyone, I think, uh, you know, in terms for this position, Christina, um, it's not like you can just, I think, go out and hire the right person because you need a, a particular skill set, um, you know, in terms of uh, the technical aspects of the job and, and knowing that. So it took a little bit of time to get the program up and running. And then you guys opened your doors. Was it August? Yeah, the very beginning of August, we um, finally got through all of uh, the regulatory process to get uh, a research effort like this up and off the ground. Um, and so we started enrolling uh, early August. I like how you put that regulatory, um, getting through the uh, the uh, the SRBs and, and insurance and everything else. So the process now um, is that you guys are screening people in the clinic that have what criteria? So there's a couple of things that are available here uh, at the university. Uh, one of them is our big research effort, which is a big um, blood collection study. Um, and so the whole goal of this research effort is to, um, over time, develop and validate a blood test that we could potentially use in the future um, to screen high-risk individuals and hopefully detect pancreas cancer earlier when it's more treatable and curable. Because um, as you know, and everyone listening knows, uh, early detection in this area of pancreas cancer is limited 
or non-existent at the moment, and we find this disease too late. Um, and so this blood collection study is enrolling individuals who we have deemed to be at a higher than average risk to develop pancreas cancer in their lifetime. Um, and what we're doing is seeing those individuals every six months for study visits, um, and, and those are with me. And at each study visit, we're doing a questionnaire or a survey that dives into a little bit of their past medical history, family history, some social history, but really focusing and paying attention to symptoms. Um, and I tell everyone that I see in a study visit um, that this is really important to, to not downplay any symptom um, because it's easy to sort of write it off and not pay attention to it and let it go on. And it may not make sense right now when you're filling out this questionnaire or survey for research purposes, but eventually it may all come together and make sense to us down the road. Um, so there's that piece of it, really paying attention to symptoms. Um, and we're also collecting blood at each study visit um, every six months. And so, you know, when we're enrolling thousands of patients who are at a higher than average risk to develop pancreas cancer, we know that maybe ultimately a few of them will go on to develop pancreas cancer. And those banked specimens that we've drawn along the way, hopefully maybe years prior to the diagnosis, and the data we've collected on symptoms will then be an invaluable resource for us studying this disease to come up with, um, and like I said, develop and validate um, a blood test that we can use in the future for screening. So that's that's the big research effort. And then obviously, um, on a campus like this, there are a lot of clinical tools available on the clinical side of care um, in terms of genetics and um, a hereditary cancer clinic and screening um, with medical oncologists like Dr. Kelsey Cludy, seeing her in clinic um, and scanning if indicated at certain intervals um, to screen patients uh, for early detection. That's all great stuff, and I love hearing you say that because it's just awesome. This is, uh, as I said in the beginning of the the podcast, I mean, this is really exciting for us to have been able to do this, and it's just great to hear that patients are experiencing this, and and I call them, I would say, prospects because they're not patients, I should say. So you mentioned high-risk groups, and so you're screening these high-risk groups every six months uh, and taking blood. For our audience listening home, how do we define high-risk groups at the University of Nebraska? Like, who sure. is eligible for the clinic? Yeah. So, um, people who we've, we've deemed to be higher than average risk are those who have a family history of pancreatic cancer um, uh, or and or a genetic mutation that's been associated with a higher risk of pancreatic cancer. Um, people who have some of those benign conditions of the pancreas that we talked about, so like chronic pancreatitis or cystic lesions in the pancreas, um, and then also a new onset in adults of diabetes, because we know uh, that 1% of adults uh, diagnosed with a new onset of diabetes uh, potentially have that diagnosis because of an underlying pancreas cancer. Um, so we're definitely paying attention to that cohort So there's people, and I'm just going to touch on the family history and the genetic mutation. There's there's clearly people that um, have done genetic testing and already are aware that, hey, they're BRCA1, BRCA2, 
Um, there's Lynch syndrome as well. There's some other genetic mutations that people are aware of. And there's some that we haven't necessarily discovered just yet as well, um, from my understanding. So, but if people know and they're living in the Nebraska area or anywhere, because um, you guys can take patients from all over the country, correct? We can take patients from all over the country right now. We're approved to do study visits and draw the blood work here in Omaha on the main campus at the university. So, I mean, I've definitely received calls from people all over the country, which yep. is incredible, who are willing to, to make the effort and make the drive or the flight even every six months to contribute to science. Um, so, you know, uh, your geographical location definitely doesn't, uh, you know, limit you as long as you can get to Omaha. So you got to get to Omaha to be able to yeah. draw blood and to do the survey. Um, but so if you have one of these genetic mutations, um, definitely reach out. And we're going to provide the information later in terms of how they can get a hold of you guys. But then family history is kind of interesting to me because I think a lot of people – and this is so fascinating to me. And it's kind of like, do you want to know kind of scenario? Because I think, Christina, for I look at my own personal situation. Like I have a lot of cancer history in my family and my mom and my dad, you know, being uh, my dad, you know, dying of pancreatic cancer and then my mom being a two-time breast cancer survivor. I didn't want to know. And I think I told you a story. Like I didn't want to know <laughs> before and then I got ill and then I, I really wanted to know. And that changed things very quickly for me. But it's fascinating meeting people and they have a lot of cancer in their family, not necessarily pancreatic, um, but just a lot of cancer in the family, like melanoma and prostate, which as we know, those are two cancers that are related to the BRCA family potentially. Um, so if there are folks out there though, Christina, whether they live locally or again, they're national and they can get to Omaha. Is the genetic testing part of what you guys are doing as well? So if someone comes in and says, hey, I've had, you know, five cases of melanoma and um, my mom died of pancreatic cancer or, um, you know, my dad or someone in their family has a link to pancreatic cancer, is genetic testing an option for those folks if they come in? Genetic testing is always an option um, or just initially to at least if you're unsure or you want to have the discussion. We have really great genetic counselors to initially just sit with and talk with to see should I, uh, do I meet criteria for genetic testing um, and discuss whether or not that's something that, that they want to move forward with. That's um, always an option here on campus. Um, it's not on study or part of the research that we're doing in terms of this blood collection um, or the symptom questionnaire, but it's definitely here at the university, like I said, and available as well as the, the clinical screening with Dr. Cludy. And it doesn't necessarily have to be related. Well, I mean, I know we, we, we want that connection to pancreatic cancer because that's what we want to learn about. But if people have a high, would you say in your own professional opinion, I mean, because there are some families I know just from what we do, like they've never had any pancreatic cancer in their, their family line. And then all of a sudden the dad gets it, right? Or, you know, a mom or, you know, a loved one, I should say. But if there's a high risk of cancer, would they be ideal candidates to come into the clinic? I don't want to, and, and I'm asking, I know that's like kind of a tough question. And I'm putting you a little bit on the spot, but I just also don't want to give false hope to people as well. Like, hey, if someone right. has had breast cancer in their family and, they, uh, and they're and they not BRCA and they've done that testing, 
um, genetic testing, then this is probably not the clinic for them, correct? Well, it's a great question, and I've, I've been fortunate as we have opened for enrollment, and I've been able to talk to so many people who come from so many different situations. You know, a lot of them have a strong family history of pancreas cancer, um, no genetic mutation. A lot of people have strong family history of a lot of different types of cancer um, and no genetic mutation. A lot of people are coming with genetic mutation and not a lot of history of malignancy running through the family. So um, this is definitely not a cookie cutter uh, type situation and we definitely don't want to close the door um, to anyone who's very interested in contributing to science and potentially being a part of this study. Um, but, you know, loosely, our, our criteria, we uh, are looking for individuals who have two or more blood relatives with pancreas cancer, and that's first through third degree relatives, um, or even just one first degree relative with pancreas cancer who was diagnosed before the age of 60, um, or any of those germline mutations uh, that we talked about. And then also, even if, if there's just sort of this picture that doesn't um, black and white fit into any of that criteria, but it kind of meets this um, uh, clinical criteria for a cancer syndrome that's kind of suspicious. Um, we're definitely willing to um, take a look and ask more questions in terms of history and family history um, and see if they're an eligible participant. Awesome. Yeah, and I think that's one thing I think the media of late – you know, there's been so many things out there. I mean, I know the New York Times just had some stuff uh, that just hit the newswire about this whole personalized medicine. And this goes back to the genetics question and how, you know, we do know with like BRCA positive patients, right, for pancreatic cancer that a certain treatment protocol fares better with those patients than it would someone who's non-BRCA. Um, you know, and, and, and there was a very interesting argument and, you know, in the, in the article about, you know, the whole personalized medicine. And I just did read something this morning, actually, that, you know, now genetic testing is across the board for certain cancers. Like there's a big push with insurance companies because I think that in the past, and, and it's still fairly expensive, correct me if I'm wrong, right? Like most insurance companies don't offer right. genetic testing as a whole for someone who may feel like they have a lot of cancer in their family and want to learn more if there is a genetic predisposition to one of these mutations that's, you know, causing the cancer in their family to mutate at some point. Yeah, I mean, this is expensive, uh, the genetic testing and also imaging. When someone comes um, and they're worried or concerned about their family history, typically these are healthy people. Um, and so there's a, there's a little, um, you know, some providers might say a lot of pushback in terms of paying for those sorts of screening things in an otherwise healthy individual. Um, so uh, I think that I have witnessed um, firsthand the providers here really um, going above and beyond and going to bat for people who are concerned and who feel like this is indicated for them, uh, whether it be imaging or genetic testing, in terms of cost to make a case to cite articles and, um, you know, like I said, make a case for why this is, is needed. I think that's testament though, Christina, you know, to going to a center like a University of Nebraska Medical Center because I can't tell you, there was a lady here. I, my point is that I, I think if you don't go to one of these high volume centers or a center of excellence, let's say, I'm going to use that term um, mm -hmm. 
because a center of excellence doesn't necessarily have to relate to high volume. You could be high volume and just do a really bad job. But, you know, a center of excellence like the University of Nebraska Medical Center is really critical. And we have these discussions weekly on families. And I know that people get really comfortable, especially dealing with a, a disease like pancreatic cancer or pancreatitis or, you know, anything else related to the pancreas that, um, you know, you go to one of these centers of excellence and a center that has the science, it has great oncology, it has great surgeons because it is really critical. But to this point in what we're talking about, and I know firsthand because when I did my genetic testing, I did it at UNMC. And I remember sitting with the genetic counselor and so thorough and knew what they were doing. And, you know, I think that's really a testament yeah, the test is expensive. And, and I think for our listeners at home, let's put this out and be very transparent. If you've never had cancer in your family, odds are insurance is not going to pay for your genetic test right now. Um, you have to build the case that genetic testing is important and it's, and it's important for you in terms of you know discovering or analyzing your genetic makeup to see if you have a predisposition to some of these genetic mutations based on your family history. So I remember sitting with the counselor there and I forget her name um, there, but she was amazing. And I think we, I actually did a phone interview before getting out to Nebraska for like 15, 20 minutes just so that she can go over my family history. Um, and so I think that's really critical. You know, I don't know if that kind of service is done at other centers. I'm sure it is to some degree, um, but the care and the quality of folks that you have working within the team to help because it is an expensive. I think when I saw my insurance bill, I think it was like forty five hundred bucks. And I know like there's been a lot of talk about you know as a whole, and this is a global picture of bringing that cost down so that it is available for more people. And I think the reality of what has to happen is that I think more people should be able to qualify that if they have familial history of cancer. Um, I, I, you know, and maybe there will be one day where a genetic test is done as simple as just drawing blood and like a normal test would be like for your, you know, to see your, your cholesterol and your, your white blood cells and that kind of stuff. I think there's a lot more that potentially, I remember signing a lot of paperwork for the genetic test because a lot the potentially there could be some ramifications, not necessarily negative, but that would impact you in a certain way with life insurance and stuff like that. Um, so maybe there's a concern there with the genetic testing that that, you know, ha they still have to kind of figure that out. Um, but, you know, I was having an interesting conversation with someone the other day about the whole life insurance thing. And I'm like, there's got to be a market out there for some life insurance company that would have like a BRCA2 patient. I mean, there's some really bright, intelligent people in the life insurance business that I would think that they would make uh, some sort of product for these like genetic mutation people um, of all mutations because – just because you have a gene mutation too, though, Christina, doesn't mean that you're going to get the disease, right? Like, right. I think I think that's one of the misconceptions. And I and I had this argument with my brother. I'm calling my brother out. Like he he was adamant that he wasn't going to do the genetic testing. And I said, John, listen, like, just go do it. It's better to know. And he's like, well, I don't want to do it. You know, he fought me for about two years in doing the genetic, well, almost a year and a half, I should say, not two years. Um, he fought for, for genetic testing. And the irony was that he came back negative for any genetic mutations, 
which is so fascinating to me. I was kind of like, how did I get that end of that bargain? But uh, that's another story for another day. So I think, though, the important thing here to go back to is that uh, you guys have the expertise there. And so if people do have questions, to certainly reach out to the group. Yeah, I mean, I I feel so fortunate to be here at the university and to have had experience now both the clinical side um, and also now the research side. Everyone here is incredibly invested um, in this area and specifically the pancreas cancer. Um, you know, all of the people who are seeing patients in the clinic, um, you know, the genetic counselors, uh, the oncologists, the gastroenterologist, pancreatologist, the advanced endoscopist, all of those people, they're all the same players who are on these research protocols and, and on the front lines trying to make a difference. Um, but the, the the amount of care um, and just how much people are invested in this here is uh, really incredible. And like I said, I, I feel very lucky to be a part of this team. Uh, it's an awesome team and we love working with you guys. So what are you guys seeing? Like I know since August, I mean, it's it uh, hasn't been that long. W what type of people are you seeing come into the clinic? Um, I know with HIPAA, you, know, you probably can't share too much like specific information, but is there just to give our audience at home because maybe there's someone sitting there listening to this and says, that's me. Yeah, so like I said, there's, there's a few different cohorts that um, are, are able to be involved in this study. The, the family history genetic cohort, um, chronic pancreatitis or cystic lesions in the pancreas, and then the new onset of diabetes. And so those are, the, you know, three big areas um, that we're enrolling. Initially here, um, you know, not that one cohort is more motivated than another. Uh, certainly all of these um, people are interested in participating. But here as we've taken off this um, cohort with family history, people who have, you know, family members who have been affected by this disease, um, people who have lost family members to pancreas cancer, they're highly motivated um, and, you know, tracking this down. How can we enroll? How can we contribute? Um, and what's really incredible to me is that this, this research effort is a future benefit study. Um, people who are enrolling into this study are not likely to be directly benefited by banking their blood and filling out these questionnaires. Um, there is there's definitely future benefit in, in developing and validating blood tests that we can use in the future for early detection. Um, but like I said, there's no there's no direct benefit to people coming on board and participating in this research, but they're they're knocking down our doors um, to be able to help, um, to be able to make a difference and to contribute to science and, and to help people studying this disease. So we've definitely had enrollment. Um, from all groups, uh, but I would say initially, as we've as we've started up, there's a lot of family members um, enrolling. Well, that's typically the most motivated, right? The people who have gone through it or that are going through it right now in their families. So, uh, without a doubt, uh, those folks, if you're listening and you have gone through this or you are going through it, I highly recommend that you reach out to the group and and get started on surveillance and, you know, the, the blood and the survey and the questionnaire. Christina, what's the five-year plan for the program? I mean, where do you guys see, I know, you know, uh, you know hindsight, as I say, is always twenty twenty, right? But so where do you guys see this program in five to 10 years, maybe? Yeah, 
Yeah, so um, a lot of the, uh, some of the funding is from the National Cancer Institute. And right now this, this research effort for early detection um, is written and funded for five years. And uh, at that time, I would anticipate uh, that we would uh, extend or renew that effort and continue with our efforts as we are now. Um, so this is a, uh, like I said earlier, a longitudinal effort, and our hope is to bank these specimens and this data years before um, a diagnosis of pancreas cancer. So um, it is invaluable to have this pre-symptomatic specimen and data um, over a long period of time. So at the five-year mark, I, I see us just bigger and better in continuing this effort. It's so fascinating to me when I was talking to Dr. Hollingsworth about this and, you know, this has kind of never been done. I mean, I think some centers are starting to get on this bandwagon now and it's just fascinating to me. And, and you know, in this day and age where there's so many technological advances, you know, whether it's on your phone or these wearable devices or Apple Watch or there's there's some, a program called Whoop that tells you, you know, it's like a... A, a Fitbit, but not a Fitbit. I shouldn't say that because it's not Fitbit, but it's a wearable device. Let's put it that way. And it tells you when to sleep, when to work out, when to do this, when to do that, all based on biofematics and how your body is, you know, feeling and operating and, and everything and you're eating and everything. So it's just so fascinating to me in this day and age that, you know, we're starting to study this where we, we probably, you know, I don't know, maybe, uh, maybe the problem to this disease is standing right here in front of us and we just haven't figured it out yet. Um, and, and then I don't mean any disrespect to anyone, but I, I think sometimes we kind of, to any challenge that we have, I think a lot of times human nature, like we really overthink things, right? And we, we think really hard that the solution is like something really complex, but it's probably as simple as like what we're doing here is, you know, following patients that we know have a predisposition and we don't hope any of them get the disease, but we do know statistically that that might be the reality for a small percentage of them. But there's so much that we can learn from those folks. And I, I think that's probably the the most critical piece, Christina, wouldn't you say, is that there is so much to learn from families and these people, let's say in this high risk group, that it's almost like a disservice if they don't get involved and if people feel that that's offensive, then I'm sorry. I mean, I lost my dad and there's so many people. And if there's a way where someone can help science, like you said, like get involved and we're not asking for money, you know, we're, right. we're just asking them for blood every six months and to fill out a survey, which how long does a survey take? Like how long does it usually take to do the questionnaire and survey? Yeah, so initially it takes about 10 or 15 minutes to get, you know, it's a little bit longer, the initial visit, to get your information in there, and then subsequent visits, it's uh, updating it. So, you know, maybe 5, 10 minutes on subsequent visits. So not a lot of time. An initial study visit with me takes about 45 minutes to an hour from start to finish, um, and that's through the consent process, um, the data or survey, and the blood draw. Um, subsequent visits will take even less. So it's not a huge time commitment. Um, and you're right, we have so much to learn um, by some of these families that are through and through affected by this disease um, or any malignancy running through families. Um, but, you know, my experience so far is, is, like I said, they are knocking down our door um, and they want to help. Um, 
we recently highlighted a family um, with one family member currently being treated for pancreas cancer, um, and and the whole the whole entire family showed up, um, and their response, you know, that they, they said to me, "Why wouldn't we?" Um, and so they definitely see the value in their situation, and they're willing to contribute, um, and I, I think it's awesome. Well, we need more families like that, and uh, you know, more people. So if you're listening at home. It takes an, so an hour the first time, maybe a half hour. I'm rounding up right. the second time. So we're talking yeah. about ninety month, ninety minutes out of a whole year that potentially could not only save their life, right? Because there's going to be some, there's going to be backup on their mark, markings and blood that will have, which typically doesn't happen, right? So potentially there could be stuff there that could be life saving for them. But then also the impact that that could have as a whole in the scientific community, if there's something to learn about if and when that person were to get the disease on a much bigger picture that could be shared with, you know, multiple centers throughout and the rest of the pancreatic community, um, it could be, you know, a, a total game changer. So be selfless, enroll in the clinic. It's 90 minutes for the whole year blood twice a year and then after the first year it's an hour out of your year so that's not a lot right. to ask uh for someone so uh that that's uh that in my i know that's really that might sound a little harsh folks listening at home but that's pretty transparent and uh, i mean it doesn't take that long I, I think that's the other thing i think people you know this notion of time and people get caught up with i, I don't have time Right, and we're really, you know, we recognize that everybody's busy. The great thing about this too is um, about data. The survey or questionnaire is web-based; it's online. You don't have to be on campus to do oh, it. Oh, even better! Um, so even right. less time. So you can do it in your pajamas on the couch, um, <laughs> and we can do that before your study visit. And then, you know, also, um, you know, if you're seen here on campus and your providers are here and you're in clinic, I can come to you. Um, you don't have to make an extra trip; it's not an extra appointment. Um, we can coordinate things to make it slick and convenient um, if you want to participate. So, yeah, I mean, even less than 90 or 60 minutes, we can we can figure out a way to make it very convenient so that you can participate. Awesome. So it doesn't take much time at all then. So it's even less than an hour a year. Uh, it's probably like a half hour. Well, Christina, this has been great to have you on and to share what's going on. And so for our listeners at home, we want to give some very valuable information here next. What is the best way for our listeners at home to get to you guys there at uh, the University of Nebraska Medical Center? And I don't know if we want to do this twofold. So if we have patients that live there in Nebraska and want to come in, and then also maybe if there are patients at home that want to contact you to figure out like, hey, should they make the trip or, you know, what are maybe some of the questions and answers that you guys can provide? Yeah, it's great if anyone's interested, um, if, if I can just have a quick chat with them initially. And so anyone uh, can contact me directly um, at christina.hoy at unmc.edu. Um, or directly at my desk at 402-559-1577. Um, and, and you make a great point, Dino. If you're just not sure, 
I'm happy to have the conversation with you. Um, and a lot of times uh, I'll bring Dr. Cludy in too and we'll review family histories or, or whatever the case is to determine um, if eligibility criteria is met. So um, don't let that deter you if you're, if you're on the fence or you don't think maybe you're eligible. Um, we can definitely discuss it. And is there somewhere online that they can find out more information too? There is, um, what's great about this research effort too is that we're part of a bigger consortium, the Pancreas Cancer Detection Consortium, and that's a, a big, a larger group with multiple centers around the country, um, all doing their part in, um, research around pancreas cancer and early detection and prevention. Um, and so, I can definitely give you that website. I think if they Google it, they'll be able to find it as well, right? The Pancreatic Cancer Early Detection Consortium. Right. Yep. PCDC, Pancreas Cancer Detection Consortium. Correct. PCDC. And that there's actually a PCDC meeting, though, I think, annually. That's for the medical community, not the... Um, the, the, the lay or the general public. And I think one of the things just to talk about that and being involved with other centers, and we just did a, a pretty big grant last week to NYU. Um, similarly, I think this is really exciting as a whole. And you guys have been kind of a leader in the space with what Dr. Hollingsworth and the rest of the team have done there. But it's really exciting to see a lot of the other big centers get on this and also the NIH get behind it, which is really critical because we have to do these things. These are things that are probably, I would say, foundation pieces in, in finding a cure for this disease is we have to understand from a biological standpoint, but we also have to blank bank this blood and similar to what I just said before is like understanding these patients on what those triggers are if these people do eventually get the disease is critical to the improvement of the disease. Uh, so what you guys are doing there is a testament to what other centers should be doing, and it's and it's also refreshing to hear that other centers are doing uh, similar programs and, and not identical, but similar in nature. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate your time, Christina. It's great to have you here on the Project Purple podcast. And just to uh, just circle back, so if there are folks in Nebraska – reach out to Christina and the team there at UNMC. If you do think that you um, either are in one of the high-risk groups, you've had family um, history of pancreatic cancer, have a genetic mutation, have pancreatitis, or early onset diabetes, um, reach out to them right away, get an appointment. And if there are people listening that are outside the Nebraska area, certainly reach out to Christina and the team there in Nebraska, and, and she can help navigate you through it. And I want to say this last thing, Christina, it is great to have you um, as part of the Project Purple family and doing what you're doing. Um, we love seeing kind of the fruits of our labor come to fruition. And, and this is something that I was really geeked out and really excited about when, when we met originally back in May and when Tony brought me around and we get we met for the first time there at, at the University of Nebraska. And just to know that there's people actually being screened and going through the surveillance and, you know, the blood's being collected and the surveys. It's just, you know, this is why we do what we do. And for our donors and runners and participation, our participants that have all come through and everyone who's ever believed in what this has become, 
it's so exciting to see that stuff's getting done. I, you know, GSD, which is uh, get stuff done, you know, is what's happening, and and we're we're moving the needle, and it's because of people like you. So thank you for believing, and thank you for doing your job. I know you have a lot of passion, and you have uh, you have a great zest of life for what you are doing quite honestly um every time i've met you you've always had a smile and you always are really excited to be doing what you're doing and and that's what we love to see so from the entire project purple community i guess i'll speak for everyone who's come through this program run blood sweat and tears uh thank you for doing what you're doing because i know we're going to make a difference thank you so much dino and just on that note i just want to emphasize how important and how beneficial you and your entire team at project purple have been just in general and specifically to us here at unmc and our efforts to make a difference uh in this difficult disease well thank you so much we're only getting started unfortunately and fortunately as i say i mean there's bigger and better things that we're going to be doing with you guys and i i can't wait the future is bright i hope to be out of business sooner than later um but uh you know we're, we're going to keep working with you guys because you guys are doing great things so we appreciate it thank you on that note that's a wrap 